0: We're back. Generations talking about My Sports Generations. This is episode 16 for the uninitiated. The last episode dropped this past Saturday. We had to have an emergency episode on the expanded playoffs. So check that one out. One of the highlights is Steve calls Robert Ori a carpet bagger. So if you want to get the context of that Check out that episode. It is by far our best one yet, but I think it's going to be surpassed today. But before we get into that, I am Jonathan.
1: I'm Steve, and I'm very fired up about our topic today, but before we get to the topic, um I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, I'm not good on the uh, numbers part of it, Jonathan is, but uh, we've got in the mid eight hundred listens, and I vowed that once we got to a thousand listens, That means this show's been listened to a thousand times. Uh, We're gonna have a party, and we're gonna have a party in Ventura. I can't say where or when, but I do think pizza will be involved. And if you keep listening, you'll get the invitations, uh, the the information, and the invites.
0: So with that, today's episode, we want you to hang in there, because this is if when you hear, you're gonna get it's gonna give a reaction to a lot of people, and we want you to hang in there because. I think there's a lot of insights, and I'm not suggesting that you have to agree with anything that Steve thinks or I think, but the last vestige, maybe, and even within it, it is not extremely, but in theory, the most egalitarian place is on the playing field, on the playing court. In sport, we have created culturally. If you look at the Olympics, if you look at all these other different places, that in sport, that the most egalitarian place, no matter where you're from, socioeconomic status, whatever it is, the place most egalitarian is on the field of play. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't a lot of examples where outside forces or even internal forces have impacted that. But it has also become a place globally and specifically in the United States as well. As for those that participate in said sport, have used it to, as a platform, to discuss you know, different types of inequities. So, so Steve, I know you're just as inspired by sport, and I know you are just as much as I am, look at it as a haven and a place where many people can come together. And a lot of people might say, "Hey, we just want to talk sports. We just want sports. We want sports to be sports, and that's what it is." And leave all the other stuff out. So, so how do you how and where do you want to start jumping off on this one?
1: Well, I, I think the the place to start jumping off is the '30s, which is a long time ago. Long, obviously, long before we were born. But in the '30s, a person tried to use race as a dividing factor to show. One race is superior to others. So obviously, I'm talking about Hitler. And the first time he tried it was with a boxer named Max Schmeling. Max Schmelling uh, defeated Joe Luce in the first fight, and Joe Luce was this American icon. And Hitler crowed about it, about how great it is. It showed that the Aryan race was superior. And in the rematch, in I believe 38, you know, before we got into the war, uh, Joe Luce just destroyed him, I think one or two rounds. Uh, really beat him badly, broke a few ribs, knocked him down numerous times and won, which kind of destroyed that myth. Of course, in the Olympics in 36 in Berlin, same thing, Jesse Owens smashed everybody. So that was the start of, start of kind of, in my mind, the idea that sports, which should be a safe haven, was being used. Then, of course, you have the, the 40s when you have Jackie Robinson. And, you know, we we could have a dozen shows just on the courage of of Jackie, but... I'll just put say that 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 got that got things going. And now um, all Americans were, for the most part, allowed to be in, in sports leagues. And then I'd I'd say probably a big, big step forward to a seminal year in the history of the United States which was 1968. 1968, you remember all kinds of things were happening. It was a very difficult year. Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy get assassinated. But what strikes me in my mind, I think I was 10 years old, was the Olympics. 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. And the 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 probably the most defining icon of any Olympic game is John Carlos and Tommy Smith raising raising their fists in the air to to protest. And what were they protesting? They 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 weren't protesting for money, they weren't protesting for adulation or fame. They're protesting the plight of America and more specifically, the plight of people of color in America, how they were treated differently and way worse. And and I I my recollection is they got kicked out of the games immediately. They like, you know, got a plane ticket back to San Jose and said, don't come back. I'm not even sure they got to keep their medals. And it was a, it was a big deal, but that was a year of consciousness. Uh, a lesser known fact about 68 is, you know, the men's basketball team at that point had never lost a game. And uh, in 1968, the best college player, because back then they only used amateurs and back then college guys were amateurs, was Kareem. Although I think, I think back then he was still Lou Alcindor and he boycotted the games because he chose, said, I don't want to win a gold medal and then come back to what the inequities I see in the United States. And that, that was a huge statement. Uh, the the side note for our sports fans is the team was led by a 19 year old from Detroit. Spencer Haywood became a great pro. Uh, Jojo White, Charlie Scott, and and they rolled. They didn't lose any games. But Kareem was you know was a man of high integrity and social justice. So that's why I think this show is so interesting to me. Why I'm so fired up. As you guys know, I I spent three decades in the social justice business. I've seen firsthand how people of color get over, over prosecuted and our prisons are full of them. And it really wrecks with society. So it kind of stands for the question, which is how we're framing this, this, this show is how do athletes respond to this? And I know in the sixties, but before 68, certainly like a sport, I like baseball. And I'll mention two guys that I'm sure, you know, Jonathan, Richie Allen and Alex Johnson. They're both phenomenal players, great hitters, but if you read newspaper articles back then, they'd always be described as moody or sullen. And that's because they didn't have a big smile on their face. And my guess, not knowing either guy, my guess is they were fed up with how they'd been treated over the years. They had, they played in farm systems in the South. Baseball was, was not a, a fair place back then. And they got treated like crap. And rather than smile and ham it up for everyone, they did their talking on the field. And they were always described as malcontent. People didn't like them, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think that was how, before 68, that was how a lot of athletes of color were, were dealing with it. They, they dealt with it internally. They played the game. They they did well. But they weren't really having the, uh, you know, shucking and jiving about how great life was.
0: So you mentioned Richie Allen. I did a, I did an episode on him on Immaculate Grid. Um, Actually, I read that he preferred Dick Allen. And that many of the writers in Philadelphia actually continued to call him Richie because it actually turned out to be a point of contention for him. And then one of the other things that, you know, maybe a lot of people either a forgot or just didn't know, but he wore a batting helmet. Onto the field, so a lot of people remember John Olerud wore a batting helmet at first base, and that was because uh, he had something with his uh, skull or something like that, and so he wanted to make sure he you know wasn't going to get hurt. But Dick Allen wore a batting helmet on the field because people were throwing, you know, batteries. They were throwing objects at him on the field, even in Philadelphia, even though that he was a Rookie of the Year, even though that you know he was a phenomenal hitter. He's actually one of I think four or five players to have 200 or more hits and win Rookie of the Year in the same season. And off the top of my head, I think the only the only one I can think of off the top of my head was was Ichiro. But Dick Allen was, as you mentioned, written about being very mute, moody, mercurial, and he actually became an alcoholic, and so he was very troubled and he alienated himself from his teammates because he didn't feel like he had any friends there. And it wouldn't be until later on in his career when he would actually return back to Philadelphia in the mid-70s until he was able to patch things up, you know, with the former Phil's and and players and with the fans. And so it's just kind of interesting, the treatment that, that he took. And then when we... Look at even further back. I was living in I, when I lived in St. Louis, we took a tour of um, the, the Chase Park Plaza Hotel, and it's a historic hotel in St. Louis right next to uh, the park there, Forest Park on Lindell. And, you know, beautiful hotel, art deco, The whole, the whole thing, as you can imagine, as far as elegance and decadence that goes back into you know it was built in the 20s but you know we're talking about the late 40s and into the 50s and jackie robinson willie mays you know players of those ilk weren't allowed to stay there they actually had to stay down the road in a motel and it wasn't until 1953 that after jackie robinson actually stood up and said hey you know this isn't right was he wasn't able to even stay there. So think about that. You're traveling all over the country and at that point in time. You know, you look at the number of teams that there were and, and how they were traveling and then you don't even get the creature comforts of staying in a nice hotel. You have to stay in a separate hotel. So it's just the inequities that we have seen in our country and then how they play out in sports. And you can only imagine the different things that those guys had to go through. And then everyone looks at, you know, Hank Aaron or maybe Jackie Robinson as the litmus test is, Hey, you know, well, well, those guys didn't say anything. And, and those guys played with elegance and, and dign and were dignified. And, you know, not everybody's like that. And I can see how some of these guys Dick Allen, maybe being one example of, of not being very happy. And then when you start looking at some of the other sports, you have Jim Brown, of course, big social leader, Bill Russell, um, you know, how it kind of played out. And even today, we still have some challenges today.
1: What's well, funny. You mentioned, you mentioned the Cardinals because you're St. Louis roots. And, um, I remember reading a story and, and, and you also mentioned how, you know, the, the sports writers in Philadelphia would deliberately call Dick Allen Ritchie because they knew it bothered him. And, um, you know, back then, remember we went, we had this on one of our podcasts, you know, there weren't wasn't a lot of TV coverage, so you got what you got from the beat writer on the paper. And you know, they, they were all white men, there, there weren't females on the paper, there certainly weren't people of color. And and it's it's fair to say that a, a significant percentage of them were racist. I, I'm one one horrible guy was named Dick Young, and I think he wrote for the uh, New York, uh, either daily or post, but you know, th- these guys had their views of how baseball should be. So if you read nothing but art- articles about Dick Allen being a jerk and Dick Allen being moody and Dick Allen not being a team player, you believe it. And I remember reading a book. I, I don't know what book it was, but it's about the Cardinals and Bob Gibson gave an interview and his wife read it. And the, you know, he'd thrown a complete game shut out in the, the, uh, writer said, you know, what'd you do today, Bob? How'd it go? And Bob said, I, I just reared back and shucked that P and his wife, you know, caught up said, my husband does not speak that way. You know, that this, this is wrong. And that's what happened. You know, they, they, they did not want an articulate person of color saying anything. They're portrayed as, uh, they're portrayed as less than whites. So there's no question about it. And, and I'm sure it, it really bothered everybody. But we're also missing one of the big ones before 68. I kind of neglected. Now, of course, Muhammad Ali. I mean, you know, Muhammad Ali was drafted, said, I, I've got no beef the, with uh, the Vietnamese. And besides, uh, you know, my my religion prohibits me from doing this. I'm a conscience objector. Went to the Supreme Court and he was in prison. He was in prison at the absolute height of his career. I mean, everybody remembers his his legendary battles with Joe Frazier. But, you know, he'd just done three years in prison and he got out. He had, he had three fights, Jerry Corey, Oscar Bonavina, and then Frazier. I mean, before he went in, he was undoubtedly the best heavyweight of all time. You know, he was he was the man. But he went to prison for his beliefs. And, and that's all there is. So I thought this was a good, good day to talk about what athletes take stands, what didn't, why they didn't. And this is judgment free. I am not an athlete. I don't know what it's like. I, I you know, have this fantasy that, oh, God, if I made millions of dollars, I'd step up in every social issue. But, you know, Michael Jordan said it best when his mother asked him, hey, man, you know, why aren't you saying anything? He's like, hey, Republicans buy shoes, too. So these guys now have turned into mega enterprises where there's LeBron, who's very strong on social justice issues, but, you know, keeps a lot to himself. Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, whomever it may be, now it's a big deal. And and I I really respect what Kareem did in 68 because now I mean really, if you were a great player, well I, I mean now it's pros, but if you're a great player in college and you said I'm not going to participate in these Olympics because I think our country overcriminalizes people of color or whatever it is, you you'd be ostracized. You you would be putting your career in jeopardy no matter how good you are. And the way things are now, you people putting your life in jeopardy, probably. So, I my hats off to these people who step up and and take on social issues. And it kind of gets the question: Is you know, are there responsibilities for these guys because they've got huge platforms? I mean, you know, whether it's, well, it's Michael Jordan or Jim Brown or Colin Kaepernick or whoever it is or Tom Brady, you know, these guys have monster Twitter accounts, great social media things. They touch thousands, if not millions, of people. And then the question is. What do they do about social issues? What do they do about the problems in our society? And what are they doing more? And one last thing before I turn it back over to you is, what I found interesting was in the last World Cup, you know, the women's team—they're outspoken. They they just tell like it is. You know, they 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 talk about um, gay rights and they they talk about social injustice. They talk about all kinds of things. And oh my God, the press coverage they got—it it, it was gleeful when they lost. It was like these brats, these Privileged, entitled little B words, they got what they deserved. And it's all because they spoke their mind. It's 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 really crazy.
0: So that's that that was kind of I'm glad you kind of jumped into that forward a little bit there, because that's where it seems like it is today. Because when you look at let's take the women's national team, and you also mentioned LeBron, and so you have the famous, you know, pompous. statement by Laura Ingram about LeBron, about shut up and dribble, and how we use specific language to not have a discussion, to actually racially, sexually, emotionally charge these topics that prevents any other discussion, and then also what ends up happening is when people want a LeBron to shut up and and dribble, it immediately becomes, let's point out all the hypocrisies about LeBron. Oh, he wants to talk about George Floyd. Oh, he wants to talk about insert other, I mean, there's just too too many names and too many people that have died at the hands of police brutality that LeBron has spoken out against. And then usually the first thing that comes out isn't the issue or the topic at all but it's the obfuscation of oh lebron look at you making money in china and so it's immediately okay let's point out this person whoever that is their hypocrisies about whatever it is and usually the hypocrisies are about money or they try to go okay women's national team you bunch of bees and oh by the way why should you get more money? Because you don't generate as much money as the men. And so that's why the men get more money than you. And so becoming, instead of becoming a discussion about the issue at hand, it, it just turns into the whataboutism. And you and I were kind of talking about this the other day. It seems that it's the sign of the times where you see the athletes, I don't want to say get emboldened. But where the athletes are reading the tea leaves of kind of society, and let's just call it what it is, we're mostly talking about the United States, but they're reading the tea leaves and they're saying, hey, you know, here's my opportunity, my platform to talk about the things that I think are right. But strangely, the late 70s into the 80s, it was kind of strangely absent. It was... The, I, I don't know what, what caused that. You had Reaganism that came in. You kind of had the conservatism that was, that was really popular. And then as a weird, even weird thing, although things were quiet during that period of time, that is also kind of what gets held up in the mirror to today. Well, it wasn't like this during that time, you know, when Reagan was here. And then it turned, it weirdly, some of these discussions turn into how Reagan was our greatest president, and that's the best time in American her- history. It's just odd.
1: Well, well, I think the I think the big factor that that changed everything was money. I mean, back then, and and once again, no judgment. I'm not in any way suggesting I would. I'm some noble guy. Look, I I I worked for the county for thirty years, and um, you know, the, when I was the department head, there are things I always thought to myself, "Wow, what if they ask me to do something that I just can't do? Do do I have what it takes to?" walk out and and leave my job and you know we got we got mortgage we got you know financial issues we got all these things you know I'm, I'm you know I'm a regular guy and luckily it never happened no they never they never did that but I always wondered what I'd do I would hoped that I would walk but I wouldn't so back in the 70s 80s people people made money but I mean let's just take Jojo White who I don't know much about at all you know Kansas Boston Celtics but Jojo White you know, was on the 6 basketball team. He played for Boston, a very racist city. He never said much of anything. But, you know, these guys, I'll bet his whole career he'd be lucky if he made a, a million, million and a half dollars. I mean, these guys were working, and after the agent gets their fees and taxes, they were not living large. And, you know, there's a big difference between now when after your rookie Deal for finishes. You've got you've got fifty million. You you've got enough money to do what you want. So I think I think a big reason why people didn't speak up in the seventies and eighties was just like you said, the era of Reagan, and the idea that these guys did not have financial freedom. You know, they they speak up and they could be balanced. I mean, just think of it, just think of the system we have in sports. I mean, it's just it's staggering. I mean, you know, just recently there's been a there's been a strike in Hollywood. The Teamsters have been on strike. The uh, people uh, making cars about UAW on strike. But in, in sports, you've got every year you know, 500 new guys ready to take over, you know, out of college. And the next year, the next year, there's no job security. There just isn't. So people can't really step up and speak. Now I think they can because they have money, but back then they can't. But kind of shifting gears a little bit, but I want to say before it slips my mind, back on basketball. The two people that I respect incredibly a lot about hoops lately are, it's funny, they're they're both white coaches. It's Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr, and that's not a coincidence. It's not I don't like them because they're white. I'm saying they've got a different degree of security than everybody else. First of all, they're not playing, so you can coach a long time, as, as Popovich has done, and and second, you know, Popovich was in the military. He he just calls it like it is about Trump and everything else. And Steve Kerr, of course, had the tragedy happen to his father at the University of Beirut. And he says, you know, so when when the next mass killing happens, which is going to happen, instead of thoughts and prayers, Steve Kerr gets up there and says, I'm not talking sports today. I'm talking gun control. When is someone, when are these gutless politicians going to do something? So I think what you're seeing in the 70s and 80s is because of, is because of not freedom, but Because of security and Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich are very secure. They know nothing's going to happen to them. They know they can say their mind, speak their mind. The average guy in the NBA or NFL or or major league baseball, in addition to not knowing they can do that, they know they can be replaced in a nanosecond by the next 500 guys coming out of college.
0: So let's put some of this stuff into perspective. So you mentioned Jojo White in 1968. The Boston Red Sox, the last team to integrate in Major League Baseball, didn't happen until 1959. So only nine years prior to JoJo White in 1968. Which I think a lot of people forget. And maybe it's not that they forget, they just they just don't know. So my children and now you know, my son's child didn't have to deal with any major conflict until the pandemic, but they didn't have to deal with any war. their their children not knowing any of these types of things. And then also, when I was born, and I very distinctly remember, even in elementary school and being a, a young, very, very young person, There was still this specter of Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany, you know, let's just take it as an example. When I was five years old, which I very distinctly remember, had only been really 30 years in the rears. So it really is just one generation between me and Nazi Germany. And it was very much still things, a topic that people talked about. It was still very top of mind. Here we are now, we're 50 years past that even, and so we forget or or don't have a sense of the timelines that it wasn't that long ago on where some of these major events happened, and then what were some of the things that led up to it. And kind of where I'm going into this is the 70s, I don't know what it was. You had massive inflation So you had a lot of economic strife. Of course, you had the hostages in Iran. So there were a lot of global things that were happening, and and maybe that poured into some of the things that we didn't have as much of it here. And I think you're right. You look at a major leaguer basketball player. I mean, we just had the show about this, about expansion. The NBA and ABA had barely even merged, you know, in 1980. So, you know, if you were a basketball player and you'd only had a couple years in the league, yeah, maybe you had a reasonable salary, but you were probably on the streets if you weren't playing basketball anymore, if you didn't have any other job or any other skills or if you didn't complete college or whatever it might be. So I, I think you're right, like financial security. And I think for anybody, right, you, you think of it for yourself. I think of it for myself. It's like, oh, well, if I do that, I might be out of a job. And if I'm out of a job, and not only am I out of a job, I'm out of a career because, you know, it's kind of a, it, well, it is. It's a monopoly. I, I can't go anywhere else. What am I going to do?
1: Well, I, I think you're hitting on it. And I think, you know, in the 80s, it changed a little bit. But take a guy like Magic. So Magic comes out of Michigan State, goes right to the Lakers. And, you know, I followed Magic his whole career, and I I – do not ever remember him speaking out on political issues ever. But what Magic has done is he's a incredibly savvy, successful business person. and he has made a boatload of money. He's opened up all kinds of stores and restaurants and movie theaters and communities of color. And that's how he does it. he's He's also now he's part owner of the Dodgers and the Washington football team. And so he's doing his own way. I think I think if you talk to Magic, you'd probably do the Michael Jordan thing is yeah, if if I can make money and hire people and get things going, that's my way of being uh, a social activist. And and you know, who's who's to say it's not? But that's kind of seen what happened in in so Magic came up, I think, in 79. So he had a great career all through the 80s, early 90s. So then these guys, Magic Michael, you know, they're at the height of their game, but their eye is not on you know social justice, man. Their their eye is on. Making significant amounts of money, you know. It, I, I think Michael's a billionaire. I don't know if magical or LeBron is, but if they're not, they're very close. And that's what they do. And in that way, they're they're doing their thing. And you know, the obviously the first line of business is you don't want to, you don't want customers being upset at you and not buying your brand. So I think that changed, and and there just seems to be a lot less people in athletics really willing to step up and and talk about something. And then I think when you have that. And you have, you know, sports is still a very militaristic thing. And and most of these guys, if you read about it or happen to know any of them, they know, you know, they are playing on borrowed time and anything that gets them looking at, looked at poorly, they will not do. So if you've got a wide receiver who is talking about police brutality or economic injustice or whatever it is, you know, unless he's Randy Moss, man, they will... Cut his ass and get the next guy there from from Florida State, who's maybe a tenth of a second slower, but they'll work with him. So these guys know they are supposed to keep their mouths shut. That that's why, to me, although I was never a huge fan, I think what Colin Kaepernick did was was amazing. And and you know he he put his career in the line and he got crushed by the NFL. I hope that he got compensated really well in this lawsuit because it's confidential and you can kind of read between the lines that he may have. But, you know, the NFL is, is a very <laughs> repressive, militaristic place, and they do not tolerate any kind of dissent whatsoever. And the last thing they want is any their people speak up about social issues.
0: So you brought up Kaepernick. And this, this is a topic that really gets me Riled up. It is the subjective criticism of Kaepernick and his quote unquote disrespect to the flag, his quote unquote disrespect to the United States of America. And for those that don't know, I served in the military. I did six years. My father served in the military. My grandfather became a naturalized citizen by serving in the military. My grandfather was part of the Bataan Death March. He escaped. He was part of the liberation of the Philippines. My grandfather fought in Korea and he came here. And then my grandfather on my mom's side, so my mom's father, he was in the European theater. So he was on the ground in Normandy. My father fought in Vietnam, became a naturalized citizen, and then I have my uncle was a tank commander patrolling the Berlin Wall during the Cold War. And I served on a submarine. I spent over four years on a submarine, you know, patrolling the Pacific and supporting the you know the Seventh the Fleet. And so when I hear people complain about Kaepernick, it really it upsets me in a lot of different ways and it disappoints me in a lot of ways. And if you say, "Okay, I don't believe, you know, I think Kaepernick should keep his mouth shut and play. All right. I don't agree with you, but okay, fair enough criticism. Or you could say, hey, this guy isn't good enough for his voice to be heard. All right. Again, I don't agree with you, but that could be a point. But when you start saying that he's disrespecting the flag, I 100 percent disagree. Our flag is there. He didn't disrespect our flag. He took a knee. And the people that walk around with the flag as a pair of shorts, the people that, you know, take our flag, which means freedom, and then put some, you know, BS blue line on it and call it Blue Lives Matter. It's like, okay, it's not that they don't matter, but you're specifically doing it to oppress and show symbolism, to hold a whole portion of our country down, and you are desecrating our flag because our flag specifically has rules against that. And if you want to support the military, I have hundreds of people that say, I thank you for your service. I don't want your thanks. I don't want your thanks. My grandfather doesn't want your thanks. My father doesn't want your thanks. What we want is we want better policies. What we want is treat your people right. My cousin came back, he was in Afghanistan, his one of his friends, you know, stepped on an I is it IUD, you know, stepped on one of those, you know, Springer mines or whatever, and lost his friend. He came back. I mean, he's still dealing with some of these things. And the support that we have. Is only getting better now because you have certain celebrities and certain people that are speaking out and bringing it to light. But you have a lot of politicians, and many of those politicians are the ones that sent our people there that don't want to help pay for any kind of rehabilitation. They don't want to pay for any kind of health care. They don't want to pay for any kind of rehabilitation or job training. Like, you want to give me thanks? Vote for people that are supporting our people because we are sending our people. I was a 19 year old. I was operating a mechanical room on a nuclear submarine. I was highly trained. I was highly, highly trusted to do so. And I'm a 19 year old kid. And where else does that happen in the world? This is just insane. It's insanity. And so when I look at sports, I think most people want to use it as a distraction from the day of the craziness that goes on. Most people want to, you know, enjoy the competition and root for your team. And I think for the majority, sports is great. But then when you start attacking these guys like they're un-American, I say no. They are the most American because that is what our country is founded on. And you don't have to agree with Colin Kaepernick. But to say that he's unpatriotic and all the other vitriol that was going against him, it that that disappoints me. So that that's my diatribe.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, I, while you're talking, I'm thinking, and I just thinking, what what did Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Barry Bonds, Tiger Woods, Pete Sampras, all have in common? Well, they're all the best in their in their gig, but none of them ever spoke up about anything other than sports. And I mean, I get it because these guys are single-minded people. They 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 get to the top by focusing twenty four seven on their on their game. And that's just what they do, and I get it. But my question is, you know, do any of them have any interest or any? I, I wouldn't say obligation because they don't. But you know, it, it seems it seems unlikely that all of them blindly look at at life and see it's great. I mean, these guys have huge platforms. They've got bully platforms if they want it. And and they I don't know if they're making a choice or they're just apolitical or what it is, but they don't really do anything about it. And and that's you know that that just that's the norm. So you know I mean really let's just take Tom Brady. You know Tom Brady grew up in the Bay Area, went to the University of Michigan. Um, you know who knows what his, his thoughts are one way or the other because a lot of these guys obviously their tax brackets are a lot different than ours. So maybe maybe the the lower tax policies of of the Trump people is is what floats their boat, but if Tom Brady had said, you know what? I've had it up to my ears with, with gun violence or whatever it is, the Patriots would have done nothing. I mean, he's, he was that good. S- same with, same with tiger, same with magic, same, certainly same with Michael, but these guys have all focused, certainly tiger, Brady magic. I, I don't know. I don't know about I mean, Michael. I don't know about Barry bonds, but I mean, they focus on making money. They focused on their brand. You know, TB12 for for Brady, Air, Air Jordan for, for Michael, Tiger's got all kinds of things going, just how it is. <clears throat> and it strikes me that, that you know, I, I know I'm a broken record about movies, but, you know, Wall Street, Greed is good. It was a caricature back then when, when Michael Douglas said it, but now it's the truth. And now it seems that <clears throat> the social activism of Bill Russell or Jim Brown or Kareem or Kurt Flood has been replaced by the entrepreneurism of people. Now, even, you know, I'm not not suggesting the 60s every athlete did their thing. I mean, Wilt was a great player, and Wilt was a Republican. Wilt Wilt had, you know, somewhat of a friendly relationship with Dick Nixon. Wilt was into a lot of things, but politics was not one of them. He just didn't care about it. So I get that, excuse me, I get that these players don't have to all care, but you strike me that, you know, with the amount of teams, the amount of players, the amount of stars, someone would want to say, hey, America, this is so and so on your favorite team. Let's not let people buy automatic weapons. That's insane, and they don't do it. And I think the the question is why don't they do it? And one answer might be they saw what happened to Colin Kaepernick. You know, starting quarterback on a Super Bowl contender, and within moments he's out of the league. And this is when this is when teams desperately need quarterbacks. They got stiff's playing quarterback, but you know, there is some collusion on, on the owner's part. And they're like, we are not hiring this guy. And I think that sends a strong message. And, you know, unless you've got so much money that you don't really care and you're willing to give up your career. I mean, these guys, that can hit a ball or dunk a basketball. That's what they do. So you take that from them. And that's a very big deal. So like I said, no judgment. But I I sometimes wonder why there's not more social commentary by, by stars who could really, truly, um, make a difference. But now getting to LeBron, LeBron starts a charter school in Akron. So he's trying to do it his way. So you you don't have to you don't have to stand on a podium and beat your chest. There are a lot of other ways to do it. And LeBron is certainly doing it his way. Other people though I think I think they they take the way out and they say you look, you know, I play ball and that's what they pay me to do and you know my opinions don't really matter.
0: Would you happen to venture a guess how old Colin Kaepernick is today. 31? Oh, he's a little lower. He's 35. Okay. So, Colin Kaepernick is still very much within the age to still be a productive starting quarterback or, at worst, backup quarterback. He hasn't played since 2016. So, he's now been out of the league seven, you know, call it eight eight seasons. It seems like it was a lifetime ago, doesn't it? it yeah, it, it,
1: it's, it's crazy. It, it, it was a long time ago. You know, something just popped in my head, and, and I, I, I'm i not big on conspiracy theories, but I, I think some of them have every now and a speck of truth. And one of the ones I've always liked is that, uh, you know, the CIA allowed drugs to come into neighborhoods of color. Because they figured people just do drugs and kill themselves, which basically happened in South Central in a lot of places. And it strikes me that that you know, the owners are far more tolerant of the of the of the Pac Man Joneses and these people who go to strip clubs and party their brains out than anyone who even takes a remote political stance. So I, I would say that on some levels, the owners are kind of buying people off, and you give enough money and you let them have their fun. But you know, God forbid anyone anyone says anything about the the realities of our society that that could be improved. And, you know, then I mean then a real troubling trend for me, I know I'm getting a little off topic, is these guys who retire and then they have this these real crazy things like Kurt Schilling and these people who really are are spooky and you think, wow, is this is this a typical baseball player? You know, and and baseball, you know, baseball has very few African Americans in it anymore. It's got a lot of Latinos um, you know, who knows what really what these guys are thinking and what they're not thinking, but like I say, I I I watch sports for the drama, for the beauty of it, and it's a big distraction to reading about uh, Hamas or Ukraine or the Republicans dysfunction of picking a speaker or whatever it might be. So, I love sports on that level, but I must say I'm a little disappointed that people get in the league and Seemingly, they they don't speak out at all.
0: Well, that's that's an interest. You, you kind of brought up a couple of points there. Number one is the not saying anything while you're in the league, and then doing things kind of behind the scenes at your own speed or your own time frame or in your own way, a la Magic. Although Magic did become, I I you know I think there could be argued on how strong of a figure, but he was a figure that seemed to normalize or help normalize hiv so then maybe maybe you know i mean obviously that's a a form of activism and you know he was kind of pushed into it because of course he had it and uh you know if you hear any of the stories or believe any of the rumors about he and worthy and 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 especially the city of houston (laughs) you know how how he transmitted it but I think it's also interesting that with Schilling as the example, going the other way, not saying anything while they're in the league. And then after they get out of the league, then they start kind of pushing back against these types of ideas um, when they're out of the league. So, So there's just as much potential, I don't know, negative feedback, I suppose, is the best way of putting it on either side, whether you speak out against, you know, social or racial injustice or if you lean into it. Um, you know, because you're in the league and you're making X amount of dollars whether you're guy 53 or guy number 1, that's your paycheck and you're working with real people and depending on what city you're playing in and the atmosphere and the culture of that respective team, you probably don't want to say a whole lot. Depend one way or the other. To it date, seems, we've only had... Go ahead.
1: But it seems like they're more... Like, to your point, it seems like there are a lot of guys who are willing to speak out against things. So, you know, the NHL has tried to have, like, these pride nights. And their guys are saying, like, I'm not going to show up. I'm I'm not going to play. It's against my religion. You know, I, I think homosexuality is, is whatever. And I, I, I'm not going to support pride night. And the NHL just backed down completely. Completely. I mean, you know, NHL obviously is, you know, 99% white, and it's it's just it's just weird. But I read an article the other day that that was kind of wasn't kind of it was very uh, inspiring. Apparently, Golden State Warriors every year have an outing to San Quentin, and they have a, a pickup game against some of the players there. And and Chris Paul went and just played dominoes against like the best domino player in the yard. And it was a really good article. And it struck me that you know that kind of outreach is is in my opinion crucially important. I mean, really ma- making. I mean, I obviously, it's a pet peeve of mine because I was in the system for so long. But, you know, the amount of people we have in prison in our nation is an outrage. And the amount of people of color in our prisons is, is even worse outrage. And, you know, we're, we're right up there with China in terms of locking people up. and it's, And it's crazed. And so normalizing it a little bit and having people... Go there and interact. I, I I think is huge. And so I guess what I'm saying is maybe a lot goes on that I don't know about. So I mean, you know, the Warriors don't have to do a press release and have everyone stand up and say, you know, here's what we're doing. They just went out and did it. And and you know, for an afternoon or whatever it was, a day, they they gave these guys some hope in their life. And you know, prisons a pretty brutal, hopeless place. And I, I think it's a very right on thing. They mentioned that Chris Paul had a uh, uncle who'd done time in prison in Quentin, I think. And it's the whole thing. I mean, you know. I'm sure a lot of these guys have relatives or friends who have been incarcerated and, you know, you just don't abandon them. You do something. So kudos to the warriors who I don't really like for stepping up and seemingly doing a very right, right on thing to help out people that really need help. Right on, right on. Just like I said,
0: Uh, you know, and, and it's, It goes back to kind of the genesis of this show, where we talk about, you know, across the generations, you know, you're a boomer, I'm 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 an Xer, and how we as fans always alter cast, you know, our values or thoughts if we were a particular athlete. So if we were Michael Jordan, or if we were LeBron, or if we were insert name here, we would do it this way. So when we were discussing last week about kind of the expanded playoffs, and, you know, you were, you know, I I know it was tongue in cheek, but, you know, calling Robert Ori a carpetbagger, you know, you were altercasting. You were thinking that, hey, if I had the height, the length, the skill, the, you know, uh, athletic prowess of Robert Ori, I would do it this way. and if I do it this way, I could have been a better version of Robert Ori. And you don't exactly say that, and're you're, you're, you were joking, of course, uh, being a little tongue-in cheek with it. And, and I was taking you to task a little bit about it. But as fans, that's what we do. We think, oh, if I'm that guy, I would do it this way versus that way. And I think one of the things that happens is for the social leaders, we want them, for those that believe in this kind of stuff, which I am one of them, hey, I want you to say more, LeBron. And, oh, by the way, I want you to talk more about, you know, how can we work with China? You clearly are, you know, your your products are made there. You You know have tv contracts there you do a lot of promotion there so what can we do to improve you know the the social injustices there or why don't you speak out about it and you think oh well if i was lebron i would totally do that but then what are those consequences and now it's like okay well you don't get that sponsorship or you don't get that whatever money from whatever point. And so then you can't open the school in Akron. Then you can't do some of these other things. And I mean, I I get it. But at the same time, I'm with you. It's like, man, if I was that guy, I'd try to do a little bit more. But again, we're not in their shoes. Not everything necessarily is even reported on some of the things that they are doing or don't do. And it's kind of a tough deal. And then going back to the, the women, if sports are supposed to be about as egalitarian as you can get, I think on face value, I think their arguments are are very valid. And if you want to talk about specific to sport, the women's national team, that's it. Like the men haven't done anywhere near them. So it, it, it becomes these difficult arguments and we can't even get to the root of it and you can't even figure out a equitable solution or a solution that people are willing to live with because it just becomes too much shouting on either side and then it just immediately becomes a political no pun intended football ball so yeah I, i just i'm not sure where we go and how we move forward.
1: Well, I want to kind of wrap up my end with just a couple observations because one of the things I try to do a better job of is listening. You've made some real good points, especially the point about, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not walking back my Robert Ori comments, but uh, yeah, yeah, I was being <laughs> I was being facetious and yeah, I was putting myself in issues. If I was that big and strong, powerful, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, two things I've read recently kind of pop into my head. One is an article about Deion Sanders. I'm not a huge Dion fan. I, I think he's a great player actually in football and baseball, but, uh, you know, as a person, I'm kind of the jury's still out, but I read an article about him as a baseball player. And they're saying that there'd been a strike and there's a guy they're bringing up who had crossed the picket line. And the teammates are were saying, we're, we're going to ostracize this guy. We're not going to, you know, do anything with him. And Dion stood up and said, Hey, you know what? You don't know anything about this guy. No one's walked a mile in the shoes. No one knows why he crossed the picket line. No one knows whose mouths he's got to feed, et cetera, et cetera. And Dion stood up for this guy. The other thing that, that I just was thinking about was Phil Jackson. Now, Phil Jackson, I've always really respected. I liked him as a player with the Knicks, Action Jackson with Willis Reed. Great coach, you know, ton of rings. And he always had that, that zen quality, but he sounded like a right-on guy. He sounded like one of those guys, if you met him, you'd actually enjoy the conversation, well-read, well-thought-out, et cetera, et cetera. And I heard something. I, I, it made made big news. He watched a game right after the pandemic and, and turned it off because he said sports is too political. He didn't like the fact that they had Black Lives Matter in the Jersey and equal opportunity. And he, he was really offended by it. And his, his rap kind of is, look, people go to see sports, to see sports, nothing else. And so maybe what you're saying is very valid. Maybe what you're saying is that, you know, who am I to say why these people don't speak up? But I was also in looking at those articles, I saw something that Obama said, another guy I really respect. And he's like, no, I think it's great that these athletes are standing up. So I don't know why they do what they do. And if it's a little thing like having a t-shirt that says I can't breathe or Black Lives Matter or whatever. I think it's great. And I, I actually think that whether they have an obligation to do or not, if they have opportunity and they've got a big audience, then stepping up and saying something that they truly believe in for social justice, I'm completely in favor of. That being said, no judgment on anyone who just plays the game and does her thing because I'm not saying I would do anything differently.
0: So I actually think of it even more simply, which is I don't care what people say support Black Lives Matter, don't support Black Lives Matter. Um, I look at it as like, you know, I support the people that I think have similar ideologies as, as I do, which is centered around, you know, fairness and equity and diversity and, you know, kind of being the epitome of Haydn's 57. I look at it as like, You know, I have a whole side of my family that is brown and on the other side that isn't, you know, I have an uncle and and many cousins that are black. And when I'm interacting with any of them or when I'm interacting with any of my friends, I, I don't think about it. It's not even an ounce of thought or an effort of thought. But then there are always little things that little interactions here and there where I notice just how there is a disparate level of treatment. And it could be just something just tiny and small. And for most people, they would blow it off and go, oh, that's not that big deal. They wouldn't even see it. And these are things that I notice. And I'm not even, you know, I think out of the most things I've had friends tell me, which in a little way is a little wrinkling that tell me, oh, I don't even think of you as a brown person. And, you know, OK, fair enough. But, you know, there's a little bit of, I think, generational racism that's that's baked into some of that. But I don't think they're trying to be mean spirited or bad. And I don't take it necessarily as a slight. So when I see these different sports figures or public figures that say things. I just take it with a grain of salt and I just, you know, if they say things that I don't agree with, I just like that guy's an idiot. And boom, I, I, I just. heard chilling. Let's take an example. I don't think about Kurt Schilling. I don't particularly like any of the things that he says. And if you ask me to put him in the Hall of Fame, I absolutely think yes. Put him in. Put him in. Tell the story. I don't care. Uh, similarly as Pete Rose. Put him in. Tell the story. Pete Rose doesn't seem to be very much of a nice guy to begin with. Not I'm not even saying that he's racist or not. But I've met the guy in person. And, you know, he's he's the epitome of capitalist. He wants to make money. He wants to, you know, do his thing. He wants to be in the spotlight and good for him. And, you know, he wasn't really that great of a nice guy. And I was like, I don't know, 14 years old. And my friend really, really liked Pete Rose and wanted to get his autograph. And it was like at that point in time, like $20 to go get something signed by him. And I just thought this was outrageous and crazy. And then when he got it signed, you know, it was almost like, hey, get out of here, kid. You know, I got your 20 bucks. So I I just look at it like that as Support the things that you want to support. And then, you know, if if there's if there's someone like, you know, do your thing, but to where to get violent and I want to like take other people down and I've got to do crazy stuff. I don't know. It's like the decorum or whatever it is, is is lost. And I don't look at Kurt Schilling. I look at like the guy's a jackass. Boom, plain, plain and simple. That's what I think of him. And he doesn't want to have a discussion. He doesn't want to do a discussion. So to me, he's not even part of my discussion. But then when you go and look at Kaepernick and then people throw all this stuff at him or Kareem even back in his day, Muhammad Ali, whatever, the women's national team, any of these other figures of how it just becomes you know, almost dangerous for them. It's just mind boggling to me. And it's like, oh, well, okay, I agree conceptually with the women's national team. And then when we start looking at equitable pay and those kinds of things, yeah, I think that's a reasonable discussion. And how do we figure out what equitable means, especially if, you know, they don't generate as much revenue? How do we make that happen? How do we drive more revenue so that they can get paid more? You know, what are those? I look at those things as, oh, those are real problems. Those are real fiscal problems. And how do we solve them? Not, oh, they're not worth it, and, you know, these women should be lucky and all this other stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I'm i kind of starting to, like, ramble, and it's I, I don't mean to because my thoughts have, are all over the place. I
1: have a question. What, what was the Heinz 57? I missed that.
0: That's me. I'm Heinz 57. Like, if you take the 57 different ingredients that go into Heinz 57 and the 57 ingredients that can go into a, a person – of ethnicity i've got 57 of them i'm from I all never, over the place
1: i never knew that's what the 57 stood for okay interesting so there
0: you go so there's the well, heinz 57 so yeah, i'm I, heinz 57
1: i think both of us are kind of saying the same thing and the, to, the way i'd nutshell it is you know we love sports we think the players have a huge audience it'd be nice if they stood up and did things we don't really know why they don't um that's on them not on us and you know it, it is what it is but uh I, I think what it really does is is make you, you know, really respect the the quiet dignity of Hank Aaron, the the courage of Jackie Robinson, the political convictions of Muhammad, and things like that. So, anyways, interesting show. I I I think uh, I I like it. I, I like sports, but I like talking social justice also. So, anyways, that's all I got today.
0: Yeah, and I'll just leave it with, um. There's more to this discussion, right? This isn't the end of it. We're just barely cracking it open. And it's a discussion. It is a discussion. It's not a, you know, one way or the other way. And I think there's a lot of components into it and sports in its best, at its best, transcends all of it and can transcend all of it. And if we're able to get there, I think at the end, that's what everybody wants.
1: Agreed. Well said. Okay, you guys, this is Steve signing off. Have a good afternoon. And don't forget, pizza party in Ventura sometime in the near future.
0: See ya.